I finally was released from my fear because I was released from everything. Wow. But the gift of that yeah. is that I discovered for a little bit what it felt like not to have any fear. Of course, I had I was fearless because I was hungry, didn't care about anything. Yeah. But it kind of showed me that my fear didn't necessarily need to take a, a front seat in my yeah. life. And welcome to the Rocket Feather podcast, the podcast that explores challenges in community, relationships, gender, and creativity with irreverence, intelligence, and empathy. And this week, we are really pleased to bring you an interview with the fabulous Claire Luche. I've been living with this interview for the last week, editing it and getting it ready to send out. And uh, the hairs are standing up on my arms and my heart is swole up. You can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Claire is incredibly articulate and very transparent and very passionate and compassionate. Everybody listening to this is going to come away feeling hopeful mm -hmm. and inspired. Definitely. And a little, a tiny bit challenged to emulate Claire as much as possible and live that epic, compassionate, engaged yeah. Full, full spectrum, as you said. Yeah. Full spectrum life. We're going to have to step up. That's what I'm saying. We're going to have to step up. And I, and I feel like with the amount of passion and compassion that Claire puts out, I feel, I don't feel overwhelmed by that. It doesn't feel like judgment. It doesn't feel like thou shalt step up. It's just like, whoa, we could be doing that. Why yep. don't we? Yep. So let's get into it. Tell us what you think. Tell us whether or not you're inspired or overwhelmed and, and tell us what you what you took away from it. Definitely. Ready for the checklist? Check. Oh, yeah. Caveat, those of you who are following Rocket Feather on Instagram know that the cats were not secured they for were this. Not. They were not for this interview. But we have to go through the checklist anyway. So, checklists. Mics are hot. Check. The recorder's on. Is it? Yeah, it's rolling. Check. Uh, everybody reasonably hydrated? Probably not. Probably not. And the cats are secured? Uh, they are not. They are not. Okay, well, here we go. We're going anyway. We, we are, are go, go for, for launch. launch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rocket Feather Podcast. This is Kelly. And this is Charles. And we're here today with... Claire Luge from Prevent Child Abuse Arizona and the world. Yay. Absolutely, absolutely. And and one part of the world that you and I share, Claire, as a connection is Ithaca, New York. That's right. I was born and raised in Ithaca, New York. I am the middle daughter of French immigrant parents, one of which teaches engineering at Cornell. And I had the uh, the great good fortune to go to Cornell and live in Ithaca for 15 years. And our paths probably crossed, but we never we never met. Yes. And we're probably both still thawing. Yeah. <laughs> I get my tolerance for cold, rainy, blustery weather is almost zero now. Yeah. No, I hear you. Actually, I moved to Phoenix a couple of years ago from Prescott. I yeah. lived here in Prescott for eight years. And now it's the opposite. Now I tolerate extreme heat, but cold. <laughs> it, it got to be 70 something a couple of weeks ago and yeah. it was freezing to me. Yeah. What? Wow. Are you kidding? That's summer weather in Ithaca, New York. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I remember my first winter in Ithaca, or the end of my first winter in Ithaca in April, and 
uh, the sun comes out and everybody throws their hoods back and you see human faces mm, yes. for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh my God, I've been depressed for three oh, months. Yeah. I had no idea. You didn't even know it. I didn't. I was so cold. I didn't know I was depressed. Is that why you look at the weather cam on, on Cornell's campus? All the time. All the time. I do. I do. I haven't, I haven't fully severed my relationship with with Ithaca and That's Cornell. Okay. It, it's yeah. a, it is a great place. Yeah. So I just lurk. I lurk on Ithaca. Yeah. Anyway. That's okay. Yeah. It That's was great. a great place. You know, my anyway. name is Claire Luge and I do not like winter sports, <laughs> oh my. including skiing. So I'm a terrible skier. I skied when I was a child, but then I took a long hiatus about 10 years. And in that 10 year period, I grew into my adult body. So mm. I went through puberty and I, I shot up like to nearly six feet tall, which yeah. is my height. And then I went back on skis and I did not know how to stop. And it was, this is the bunny slope, but I stopped by crashing into a fence. And yeah. that was the end of skiing for me, probably yeah. for life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care to try it anymore. No, you live in Phoenix now. There's no, there's no point. There's yeah. no need yeah. or opportunity. So Claire just mentioned her height and it, it's a little, what we've got going on in the podcast right now is a version of Middle Earth. We've got two hobbits oh. and an elf. Thank you our, so much. Thank you for saying right elf now. because if I could be any fantasy creature, it would be an elf. I am a Lord of the yeah. Rings nerd and have been since I was about 15 where actually I discovered fantasy. So yeah. gosh, uh, I grew up. So a French American, so I was already kind of separated from the American culture. But yeah. then I was also in Catholic school, like oh. uniformed Catholic school, and I did not have television. So I had this just—I was not immersed in American culture. It was very separate. Yeah. Didn't have any sense of of comic books, video games, TV shows. No idea. Okay. When I got to be an adolescent and you know gain a little bit more. Of a, of a peer group other than my family, yeah. I discovered all of these things. Things that had been kept from you. Like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and so the first time I experienced Lord of the Rings, I, I went to see it in theaters. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's how old I am. Okay. Um, so you hadn't read the books. I hadn't read the books. Oh my gosh. And I was mesmerized yeah. and I wanted to be an elf, obviously. And, uh, and it's the same thing with things like X-Men, Marvel. It was the first time experiencing these things and this whole world opened up to me. Mm -hmm. Pop culture and, and nerddom and... Yeah. yeah. Fun. And I changed a lot. Yeah, I changed a lot because of that exposure. Because it was a whole... It, it was something that, that was was epic. It was, it was life sparking. Oh. It, was, it, was, it was mine. It, it, oh. it was something that, that was mine because, because I loved it. It was just passion. Wow. Yeah. And so shortly thereafter, I found something called live action role playing, Yeah, which uh, typically when I share that with people, it's very surprising because when people who have heard of live action role playing see me tell them that I am a live action role player, I yeah. don't fit the typical picture of a no. live action role player. Okay. No. Which I think is fantastic. Yes. Because yeah. one of my favorite things to do is bust stereotypes. Yeah. I think that is so funny. Like I'm almost six feet tall and I wear heels. Mm -hmm. I think it is so funny. Yeah. I think I have okay. you around your waist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, because I think I just, I love emphasizing characteristics mm -hmm. uh, because I think <laughs> I think it can liberate people to fully mm -hmm. embrace the parts of you that are uh, flamboyant or 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 unique or a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Gosh, if I can if I can help others be a little bit more too much or feel better in their too muchness by just embracing my too much, oh, fantastic! 
Well, and that's one of the cool things about you is because you're model gorgeous, but unlike most quote unquote beautiful people, you, it's very comfortable to be around you because you, my guess is that you accept yourself and you know yourself in a way that a lot of people don't. So you're not uncomfortable and putting out an uncomfortable vibe. So you connect with the part of me that would be uncomfortable. And and it's just kind of non-verbally, you say, it's okay. Mm. You be you, I'll be me. Mm. We're cool. And you're a ton of fun to be around and you're really comfortable to be around. And not everybody who could have a modeling career is like that because a lot of those people are insecure and whatever. So I like that, that you bust that stereotype too. That, that is such a huge compliment. Uh, that I think was hard one. Um, I bet it was. My older sister was, is, is beautiful. And she was the person who was, you know, when we were growing up, she was, she got all the boys. She was the pretty uh, she, one. She was the pretty one, right? Oh my gosh. Right? I think she would, I, I don't know that no, we could no. even look oh, upon no, no, her. Oh, no, 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 whatever. <laughs> but but um, as I grew up, um, my whole family is French. And so my sisters and I would be sent to France for the summers to hang out with our cousins. And my sister was loved by all the French boys. Mm. And she was fun and playful. And I was just, I thought that to be beautiful meant to be an ice queen. Oh. Right. I thought because that's that's how I saw in magazines to be beautiful was to be icy. And uh, and I, so I tried that strategy and it did not work at all in getting me what I really was wanting, which was connection to other people. Right. Oh. And and so I don't know what really caused it. I think m maybe I, I understood that that it wasn't working for me or maybe I just got more comfortable. I think part of it is that I found theater mm. and being in theater, you're you're not just I mean, yeah, okay, in, in, in theater, looks matter, but not really. It's about personality and character and expressiveness. And, and, and I learned that actually um, trying to be a, an ice beauty queen was so deeply disconnecting mm. and so isolating. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm kind of uh, like talking like circuitously here but uh that's what that's why we do long yeah, form. Sure, that's why we sure. do long form long podcasts um, yeah. so so that and so so there was one summer after that this one summer that i i, I tried to be all icy and try, try to be like a, a model-esque person the summer afterwards i just dropped it and i just was playful and and genial and and just conversational and it changed everything okay mm -hmm. so one it just not being an asshole really works i how to swear <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> not being an asshole really works in connecting you with other people which is really what i was craving i, I mm -hmm. really love people and i really love connecting with them and it's just, it's it's so meaningful to be able to have a, a connection with someone else yeah. uh, but the other thing i think that um uh it's really hard by the way to talk about that I think that I have conventional beauty, by the mm -hmm. way. Even admitting it is really is Well, we're not really allowed, vulnerable. are we? We're not allowed. So uh, I, I'm always, if everyone- You're not allowed, and at the same time, it's like the only thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's the only is, thing that matters for a woman, and oh we're gosh. not allowed to, to admit it. Totally. So if someone tells me, oh, you're so beautiful, I'm like, like, oh, oh no. thank you. So, or, yeah. or, or either, oh, no, or like, oh, thank you. But I feel like I have to affirm them in some way because I'm like, uh-oh, like, right. if I take this, it, it's taking power. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's been used, it's it's been shown that it's just, it's power, right? Such so I don't want to take edge. power. I don't want to yeah. take power from anyone, right? Right. Um. So anyways, one, I just want to admit that, mm -hmm. admitting that I think that I'm conventionally beautiful is hard mm -hmm. yeah. because, and, and, and I don't want to, and it's hard because I can hear 
a voice in my head saying, oh, wow, Claire, people are going to hear this and mm-hmm. say, oh, Claire, Claire Lu thinks you're yeah. so beautiful. Oh, what, what a yeah. hard life she's had. All right. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. already. Well, I almost didn't even I had thought of it before you even got here and it just naturally came up and it sat right there for a half a second. And I almost didn't say anything because I didn't want to put you on the spot. And at the same time. What this podcast is about is talking about things that matter. And we are both, Charles and I are both feminists. We want to make the world a better place for women and for everyone. And the way we want to do that is by telling the truth. We got to talk about this stuff. We got to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So thank you. So for, thank, thank you for, being... you for diving into that because you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but. Thank you for having the courage to dive into that because it is fraught. It's, I mean, it's not fraught in this room, but it is fraught in the world. So, so one more story I want to share about this. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, so when I was a teenager, it, it, later teenager, kind of older mm-hmm. teenager, 16, 17, 18, I had no idea what to do with my life. No idea. I was envious of people who had this direction mm. or who had anyone telling them what they should do. I even craved someone telling me what to do with my life. I just wanted someone to tell me, you know, Claire, you're good at this. Go do that. I wanted yeah. that. Or I wanted to have some compulsion to do something. And I didn't have either of those. And I had tons of anxiety. And I had a stutter, by the way. And I still do have a stutter, but we can talk about that later. But it, it's I have strategies to mask it. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a much more pronounced stutter. Regardless, the one thing that I got over and over again, because I'm six feet tall mm-hmm. and because I'm conventionally have the, the European mm-hmm. conventional white beauty thing mm-hmm. is to model. That was one thing I was told consistently, uh, right. right? So I said, I have no idea how to make money in my life. I don't know who would hire me to do whatever because I have no job skills. I'm at a high school. You know, I'm going to go to college, but I should try to model because it's the only thing that I've been told I should do. This was the semester before or the year before I was going to graduate college. And I went to New York City to do a semester abroad in New York City, you know, from yeah. Ithaca. It might, it might yeah. as well be a different country, yeah. actually, totally Ithaca, New York country. City. Okay. But then the same there state, but, very, but still. Very few dairy cows different. on Fifth Avenue. Yes. Yeah. yeah very yeah. few. And uh, I, I was there to do a kind of internship, but really I was trying to, to ask myself what I should be doing later. And so what I chose to do, it, knowing that models were a size zero to two, Ugh. and I'm a solid size six to eight. Okay is to start dieting to see if I could become a, a zero to two. Wow. And um, I developed severe anorexia, mm-hmm. severe, because I was very, very, very good at dropping that weight because mm-hmm. I was very, very good at, because I was a perfectionist. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I set my mind to something, I would do it and I would do it really, really well. And that almost killed me, you yeah. know, because it is the most deadly mm-hmm. mental disorder. And, uh, and so that didn't work out. I mean, no one scouted me. I just wanted to be scouted. I just want, to want someone to, to come up to me and say, oh, Claire, we want you to model for us. That doesn't happen. Like, you really have to work at things that you want to become. And I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still the only thing I had been told to do in my life. So I tried it. Uh, and I didn't really try it. I really just tried to look like it. Mm. And it destroyed me. You know, it destroyed mm. my relationships. It, it's, a, it's a disease of lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an experience of addiction that I had, yeah. which in retrospect, I'm very grateful that I had because it was an addiction. And now I understand how it is to have an addiction mm-hmm. uh, and then how it is to recover from it, which is such, mm. which is, it's so magical to have recovered from something. Uh, 
That could have killed you. That could have killed me. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that it gave me the gift of empathy mm. and, uh, and non-judgment to literally yeah. anyone. You yeah. know, I am not above anyone else at all. I've been at, the, at, the, at such a low point in my life. Mm-hmm. So it taught me so much. Yeah. And so our, I think between our, those two stories, yeah, the, yeah, the whole beauty thing, yeah, that's what it is. But you really, it must have changed you almost at a cellular level because, like I said, you are so comfortable to be around and you are so loving and you are fun and you're out there in the world doing amazing things. Oh, please, Kelly, go on. This is really I know, right? This <laughs> Thank is you. always Thank you. This podcast is a love fest. We fall in love with everybody we have in here yeah. and we invite people we love in the first place or suspect we will love. And we've loved you for a long time. Gosh, so. it's such yeah. an honor. Yeah. And the feeling is totally mutual. And I'm thinking of um I think it might be David White, but I might be wrong about that. But the the concept that our our wounds are what open us to the world. Mm. And what you talked about, about uh-huh. developing empathy and, and um, the ability to connect with folks who, who may be experiencing their own depths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In and so- let's just, and let's, and let's just take a pause right there. Cause I want to give our listeners a chance to, to think about, you know, in what way do you, our listeners, let your wounds open you to the world and in mm-hmm. what way, cause wounds can also scar over and create bitterness and resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way do do your wounds do that? And in what way do they open you to the world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back with the Rocket Feather podcast and Claire Luge. All right. And we're back with the Rocket Feather podcast. We've been talking with Claire Luge about empathy and wounds and the foundational changes and experiences that turn us into the people that we are. Yeah. What my experience with an eating disorder made me realize is how much I need people. And I think that we are, have all been taught in one way or the other, being within this culture, that we do everything alone or that we should be doing everything mm. alone or that we should be independent, that our success is our success and we should own it and market it and yeah. capitalize on it. And being in recovery of anything requires connection and support from community. When you are low, you need other people to support you. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is that is dependence. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is the feeling of being interdependent um, or dependent on others. And uh, and I think that that shaped my desire to go into human service professions, mm. any kind of helping role. Uh, and so after that, I you know, began my recovery, I, uh, I decided that I needed to do something totally different. And, uh, some, you'd, you'd already been studying human development. Yeah, I, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and really I studied human development because my sister did, like, I did not choose that necessarily. I mean, I, I did, but again, I did not know what to do. I saw what she did. So I, I, I did it too. Sure. And of course I've taken a different path and, and it was very interesting to me, but I really did not choose my path mm-hmm. in an empowered, independent way, a conscious yeah. way until yeah. I was able to recover with the help of other people. Mm. So did you discovered more about yourself and your own authentic? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I, so I had a lot of fear when I was younger, a lot of anxiety. I, you know, I stuttered. Uh, I was a perfectionist. And I, of course, this manifests into this eating disorder. So here's all this anxiety situation. One of the gifts of the eating disorder was that 
it completely robbed me of all emotion. And that sounds terrible because it, 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 it is, it numbs everything. But at the same time, it numbed fear. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. So all emotions, all emotion, like all, all the, emotion all the numbed, way down to fear. Right? And so I wow. had no emotion. And so I finally was released from my fear because I was released from everything. Wow. But the gift of that yeah. is that I discovered for a little bit what it felt like not to have any fear. Of course, I had I was fearless because I was hungry, didn't care about anything. Yeah. But it kind of showed me that my fear didn't necessarily need to take a a front seat in my life. And uh, I decided that actually my fear, when I felt anxiety, that was a cue to go towards a thing rather than away from it. Okay. Because uh, if this, if this disorder really manifested from trying to suppress anxiety, Mm. then feeding the, the disorder uh, would be suppression of anxiety. So if I had anxiety, I would go to the disorder, disorder would solve the anxiety, numb it. Right. Yeah. So in recovery, I had to do the absolute opposite. So go towards the fear, which uh, was amazing. Badass. So, so and yeah, mm-hmm. but, but, but then again, it's like, it's the only thing I could do. Right. It was mm-hmm. either, you know, be disordered and like literally die or be numb to everything, mm-hmm. uh, or just face everything and just throw myself in. I'd already failed epically, right? I'd already needed to go to a a, a partial rehabilitation clinic. I'd already failed, you know, whatever failure was to my perfect, you know, French family. I had failed, epic failure, right? Epic failure. But so I'd already epically failed. So I was released from the utter fear of utter failure. So I launched myself. So I went to Arizona to do a year of AmeriCorps service to kind of discover what I wanted to do. Totally new place, totally new people, totally on my own. Yeah. Because I had to face it. I had to face something that totally petrified me, which was that. Wow. And that launched everything. Wow. We were talking before the, before we hit record about stages of development and, and especially sort of what David Plotkin talks about ecocentric development rather than egocentric. Mm. And part of ecocentric development are these changes that require the death of the ego. Mm. And that's part of the initiation, right? Um, that the boys and girls have been through and, and the idea of the, the chrysalis where our organs dissolve, you know, mm. our ego completely dissolves. We face a ritual death. You, mm. you faced a literal death. Yeah. And then it's time when that, after that happens, then there's a freeing, right? The caterpillar's organs literally yeah. dissolve and it gets to be something completely different. Yeah. And really beautiful. It and doesn't, have, doesn't have to follow its sister around. <laughs> That's true. She's to... wonderful. Sure, sure. Way. Yeah. What's her name? We'll give her a nice shout out right now. My sister? Yes. Oh uh, yeah. This is a shout out to, to Natalie Luge, who actually lives in Tanzania because she is what? a badass and yeah. she's a literacy specialist just rocking it with her human development degree. Nice. Right. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. Solid older sister. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah, that's you literally went through that rather than a lot of us who have to find sort of ritual yeah. ways. I mean, I struggled for years to to finally get to the place. You know, the phone rang repeatedly, the the metaphorical phone rang repeatedly before mm-hmm. I picked it up. Oh. And went, you know, and went for eight days into a canyon and, and I, I didn't eat for four days. That was part of the, that was part of the way to dissolve my ego was to, was to not eat in that case. And, and I got to that place in a similar way when my kind of midlife crisis was cropping up, realizing that comfort was not my friend and going toward discomfort. And that was my mantra at that time. Comfort is not my friend. I craved comfort. 
Yes. So much. I still crave it. Mm -hmm. But knowing that that's not really that great a place. Yeah. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't solve the existential problems. It's it's nice to give ourselves comfort to recharge. Uh But if that's all we ever do, we don't get out there and do what we're supposed to do. Absolutely. We are designed to grow. We are designed or created or, 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 or we, are, we are made. We are, we are meant to grow. Our energy is, is, is growth and, and wonder. And, and if, if it's easy, it's not meaningful. I used to think I, I wanted ease too. I wanted yeah. ease. Yeah. I don't want ease. Uh, I like it hard. I, I mean, I like it really challenging. Yeah. I, uh, and I get really depressed when life is easy. Because I'm not learning a damn thing. And this is actually partially why I'm uncomfortable with extravagance. Mm. Because to me, I cannot savor the wonder of extravagance because there's too much of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm. I mean, th- that's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. I think I think to me, it's in the same bucket uh, is appreciation and this and, and not wanting luxury. I don't like luxury. It's not funny. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't no, like I get it. it. I totally get mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because I feel because I feel stagnant. I feel stale. I feel like a swamp in luxury. Yeah. So it's not clear to me as I'm hearing you whether if a movie were made of your life, whether you would be played <laughs> by Liv Tyler or Gerhard Butler. Like like Gerard Butler? Gerard Butler from the from Sparta? Yes, yeah, from 300. No, <laughs> no uh, it, it, yeah. I, I totally botched that that pop culture reference. It's not It's totally It did not. Yeah. But okay. Snip snip. Snip snip. <laughs> you leave talked, it in. Leave it in. You talked about uh transforming the ego. Another way that I have discovered. Mhm. To create this process in especially young adults mm-hmm. is through live action role playing. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. So, and I know that it is a it is a small way. It is a small ritual. Yeah. Okay. But live action role playing is when you become another character. You can you can tap into any aspect of yourself. Yeah. A lot of people like to be the evil parts of themselves. In fact, mm. most people really want to be the evil parts of themselves, and that and that's a really interesting yeah. thing too. I think we need to play with our shadow sides a little bit more if the craving is that all these teenagers are wanting to be evil people. Okay? Be monsters, yeah. Um, yeah. So describe, describe, please. Describe live action role playing yes. a little bit kind of in general and then and then kind of talk about what you've been doing with the teens. Yeah. So when I was 17, I found this camp called Wayfinder. It's in upstate New York mm-hmm. and I completely fell in love with it because what live action role playing is, is everyone becomes a character. It's in an epic fantasy setting, and the setting is actually created by a whole story writing team that designs the world, that designs the basic flow or structure of the game. So mm-hmm. it's all improv theater. So the, the the young adults who are playing characters in this are not privy to what's going to happen in what's called the game. Right. Uh, they react to it, and they make choices based on what their characters are. But there are certain elements that are put into what's called a flow, a structure of the game. So for example, there's always some sort of opening scene. Maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's a wedding, whatever. The characters kind of come together and then they they get asked by the king, uh, who is, you know, kind of an adult volunteer character mm-hmm. or a staff member, to go on this quest. And then in the quest they find something and all of a sudden something terrible happens and they have to band together to work with their friends to defeat this demon. And then yeah. actually turns out the demon is is, I don't know, is 
the king's brother. And then there's a whole existential thing around that. So anyways. So this is all copyrighted, by the way. Claire is, Claire is writing <laughs> and creating as we speak. So if you can just kind of yeah. like not very... copy this. <laughs> so, but so, so this is like, this is, this, these were kind of created, this came out of Dungeons and Dragons and kind of tabletop role playing. Yes, but it is live. But it's live. It is live. And yes. so it's. For embodied. People, yeah, yes, so for people who are familiar with uh, massively multiple player online games, this is the thing that happened first live yeah. on somebody's farm in the woods Absolutely. for a couple of hours or a weekend. A week, a weekend. Yes. So, I yeah. mean, games are typically uh, a few hours at night and then a few hours in the day. But yeah. anyway, so you'll, you'll take on this character yeah. and your character you know, has a costume. So there's yeah. a whole costuming department typically. There's a whole magic system. And by the way, we have foam weapons. We actually fight with these foam swords. We, we can actually hit each other with them because they're foam. But we, we teach the teens how to play safely like that, yeah. how to use magic. So if, they're a char- if their character is a mage and can use magic, how they cast that. Yeah. And then, of course, how you react to a spell being cast on you. If their character is a healer, how you heal people, yeah. and then how to react to once you're healed. And there's whole, so they learn the whole system yeah. and the rules of the game. And by the way, it's particularly awesome for kids who are on the autism spectrum because mm. social rules uh, tend to be a struggle for that population. But what it does is it creates a set of, of very clear social rules. Right. The rules are stated. And that's the problem with society is that the rules are not stated. Yes, they're not. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's especially I mean, it's it's great for anyone, but. It, it's very cool for for uh, integrating uh, the population of yeah. of children on on the spectrum. So, anyways, I fell in love with this when I was seventeen. And it I, sounds a little bit. It's what you're talking about. Also, embody or reflects some of the what we believe about rites of passage. Right, that there has to be a separation. That we don't change if we're stuck in our old environment. Oh, absolutely. So you're creating a brand new environment with a, with a different set of rules, different costumes. People look different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's not, you're not in Kansas anymore. Right. But it's yeah. also co-created. So yeah. every character is an important part of what makes the game the game. Yeah. And by the way, that flow, that game always gets messed up because sometimes, you know, someone will accidentally kill the princess and uh-oh, like, well, we're going to have to, kind of, you know, so it's improv too. So it, it's an exercise in presence Yes. because you need to react to what's happening right now yep. and, and make a choice based on a character that you've created and mm-hmm. what would this character do is this character in love with the the captain of the guard that she's following uh is she going to sacrifice herself for it for him uh i don't know you but you could absolutely make that choice you know yeah. are you actually a tr- uh, a treacherous character and you're going to abandon that general you know you could absolutely make those choices yeah. and it's so safe to make those choices because yeah it doesn't matter, <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter, right? You, you could absolutely, you know, slaughter someone in this game. Yep. And that, that was your character's choice. But now you have to deal with the ramifications the of that. Yeah. And so it's, it's a safe way to play with who we are. Yeah. And, uh, and I absolutely love it. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I started a live action role play here with Prescott Valley Library, who yeah. approached me and said, hey, do you want to... We hear you talking about this all the time because you're obsessed with this. And, and I, you know, I, I go back to New York once a year now to work a week of summer camp as my vacation yeah. because I love to connect with, first of all, my old crew who did that with me. And now we're all in our 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, but now I just this is how I volunteer. This is how I like to contribute in my non-official work time is by building community in this way. And 
it's so it's so meaningful. Yeah. And and to be honest, I get more adult volunteers than I than I have teenage participants because adults are all about this too. We need a way to play, and I think that if we can do it in service to the, the younger generation. Mm. That's even more rad. You know, it, it, how fantastic that we can be a monster in the woods and kind of chase after people and like hit them with foam weapons and then like get killed by all these teenagers who you just made their day yeah. because you you died an epic death under their sword. And so you can serve in that way. Like what other volunteer opportunity <laughs> gives you that opportunity? <laughs> so it is just so, so fun yeah. and so meaningful. And it has so much to teach. Hmm. Uh, which is why I am so passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. You seem a little passionate. I can't stop talking about it. That's I mean, fantastic. I integrated into everything. And thank yeah. you, Charles, by the way, for volunteering every oh, time that I've gosh. asked you to the past two years to yeah. be uh, a leader. Actually, you've been a leader several times in these games. And uh, I handpicked the leaders of the groups because it takes a very special kind of uh, of person to be able to empower people in the story and not make it yeah. all about them and their experience. Yeah. And thank you also, Kelly, for you made me an amulet when mm -hmm. I was this is during a Greek mythology game. You made an amulet for each of the Greek goddesses. Uh -huh. And uh, I still have that. Uh, I keep it in my purse just to oh, remind cool. me to, to love my community. Yeah, I had I couldn't make myself leave the house to go actually play. But now, <laughs> like hearing you talk about it makes me like, well, Maybe. And Kelly. You but I love doing, helping create the costume for Charles, uh, you know, like making his Odysseus oh costume was so much fun. It was and so good. Throwing together his thief, yes. thief king yep. costume yes. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that part is super fun for me. And okay. Another thing, another thing that I love about this live action role playing experience is that it takes all sorts to contribute to this production. Mm -hmm. We right. need people to make props and costumes. Mm -hmm. And by the way, not all characters are dramatic, epic <laughs> characters. You, you, you can be a totally mute character and not talk not, at that's, all. That's not what... Not you, that's Charles. Not, that's not but, good for Kelly. Yeah, that's not likely. <laughs> okay, but, but I'm just giving you the range. It, 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 it it's takes, like, once I'm out of the house, that's just getting me to leave the house. That's the yeah, hard part. Yeah. Once I'm out of the house, I'm probably... Very, very talkative hermit. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, so so the things that the, that the participants are getting, whether they're adults or kids, I, mean, I think it's a little bit different what the adults and the kids mm -hmm. get out of it, but it's they're getting control. We're talking, we talk a bunch mm. about the, the five mm -hmm. basic needs that, that uh, Glasser talks about in choice theory. So control, they get to, they get to, you just talked about, they get to choose their character. Mm. They get to participate in a world where they have a lot more, briefly, a lot more autonomy and control over what happens. Right. Freedom. They are free to chart a path. You talked about how the games will just completely change because somebody made a decision that wasn't exactly what the mm -hmm. what the designer what the storyteller had in mind um safety it's all safe yeah and and that's when you set up the game you're really really clear about the safety rules and what you talked about about kids on the spectrum or just any kid needing to know mm -hmm. what the rules are the rules are really clear really simple belonging yeah that's and, that's that's the best one yeah yeah and fun and fun yeah and you know glasser says those are the five basic needs well, if you and this is a combination of all those, it is yeah. such mm -hmm. a perfect alchemy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like what you said about how each role is important to the story, and I can imagine some of the kids who show up have never felt important to whatever their life mosaic is. Yeah. There was a kid who played in the game 
um, a year and a half ago, my my character was Odysseus, and and this kid played Telemachus, who is Odysseus's son. So his job was just to follow me around and mm-hmm. be awesome. And he was he's a he's not on the spectrum or anything, but he's just a nerd, and he's not quite cool enough yet for that to be awesome. He will be a very awesome. Is it nerd come into later. his yeah. full nerdness? Yep. Oh yep. my gosh, nerdy yep. adults are the best, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I gave him a ton of attention. Yeah. And I don't think he's got a I don't think he's got a dude in his life. I think he's got a single mom who's who's pretty awesome and playful and fun. Yeah. But I don't think he has a dude in his life. And I just Absolutely. gave him a lot of attention. And a year later, he didn't come back to play, but his mom came back to be a character. And I think there was a younger oh. sibling. Uh-huh. But his mom remembered me and said that was a great night. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And all I, all I did was just kept calling him Telemachus, you know, telling him, come on, you, you're my son. Let's keep doing this. Let's be, be strong, be brave. Well, I yeah. remember he, he died too. And yes. you were beside yourself. Yeah. And it was an epic, epic. You were yelling, who oh, killed my son? And it used to, you could have those moments and yeah. how awesome it, it is yeah. to, yeah. to, to be the, the target of that attention. Right. And, well, and, and we do, you know, there's this whole branch of, of, uh, what do they call the therapy? Sociodramatic play? No. Drama therapy? No, there's another name for it. Psychodrama. That's Psychodrama. what it's called. Yeah, That's yes. what, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, you re, you do these replays of, oh, of yes. you know, well, your mm-hmm. father's dead, but here's, yeah. your opportunity, here's your opportunity yeah. to talk to your dead father. Mm-hmm. Here you can, you know, pretend that this pillow is your abuser and you can mm-hmm. hit the hit mm-hmm. the pillow with a baseball bat or a tennis racket or whatever. And, and the you know, it seems really woo-woo, but those play acting, mm-hmm. our brain doesn't know that it's not real. And this is something that Adam said in the, in the interview we did with him. It's like our soul doesn't know that we're not taking this opportunity to grieve for that loss. Mm-hmm. Our soul doesn't know that we're not getting the love from our dad. We're getting the love from some random dude wearing an improvised Odysseus costume. Mm-hmm. It's like soul's just like, yeah, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Bring on, bring on the love, bring on the, bring on the healing. Oh, they feel so much better. There's this new study. I love studies. Okay. Yeah. There's this new study or this research called uh, Positive Childhood Experiences. Have you heard about Positive Childhood Experiences? Mm-hmm. You'd be all over it. Mm-hmm. We know about Adverse Childhood Experiences. Okay, yeah. Everyone knows about so, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Yeah. Many people know about Adverse Childhood Experiences. And actually, the Adverse Childhood Experiences was the key in determining my career trajectory. So I'm now the right. Executive Director of Prevent Child Abuse Arizona, and it started with the knowledge of adverse childhood experiences. So adverse childhood experiences are experiences in childhood that are unhappy, unpleasant, and hurtful. They include things like losing a parent to death or divorce. They include things like having a parent who abuses substances, Mm -hmm. having a mentally ill parent, any kind of child abuse or neglect, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And research shows that the more of these adverse childhood experiences that someone has, the more likely they are to develop any of the top 10 risk factors Mm -hmm. for death in the United States. And it's associated with almost everything. Obesity, addiction. Yes, exactly. Lack of performance in school. And not just behavioral things, but physical problems as well. Yes. So it's the foundation Mm -hmm. to all these things that we want to prevent. So when I learned about this study, I said, oh, if I focus my energy and my attention on preventing adverse childhood experiences, I can prevent all these other things that suck. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said yeah. to myself, why isn't this, why isn't this being shed from the rooftops? And so I Prevent actually- Prevent things that suck. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Prevent things well, that suck. Yes. That really should be a tagline. It's that 
you know, spend a penny today and so that you don't have to spend a dollar in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that's not the way that it's normally said, but <laughs> yeah, that's the, way we, that's the way yeah. we say it here in that's the Rocket Feather Studio. Right. So what, what I learned about this, it it laser focused me on child abuse prevention. And at the mm. time I was working with First Things First, an early childhood state agency. A couple of years after that, I learned about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And I had begged my supervisor to get trained so that I could give presentations on it because I thought yeah. everyone should know about this. Yeah. Shout I asked, from the rooftops. Yes. Mm. I yeah. asked to join Prevent Child Abuse Arizona because I really respected Becky Ruffner, yeah. who was the executive director of Prevent Child Abuse Arizona. And she said, well, okay, basically. <laughs> and she said, well, I have a training, uh, training management position, but it's mostly kind of event coordination and, and training production. It's not really giving trainings, it's coordinating them. I said, well, I don't really know how to do that, but I'll learn, but I'd like to join your team. So I'll say yes. Yeah. And so she gave me this job. And was, that I, a, was that a moment of leaning into the anxiety and the fear? Oh yeah. Did you even, did you even notice it at that point? Or? Oh, absolutely. Of yeah. course, of course. Gosh, yeah. transitions are hard for any kind of, transitions are difficult for anyone who has been through any kind of addiction. Hmm. And they're also hard for everyone. Transitions are hard because they're changed. So yes, absolutely. Hmm. But I so much wanted to work with Becky Ruffner that I I said yes to a job that I really didn't know how to do. Okay. (laughs) Nice. But she trusted me, which was enough for me. Yeah. I figured it out. Right. And And if uh, Becky Ruffner trusts you, you're you're probably You're fine. (laughs) And so... uh, so I was tr- the training director for six years, and I recently was promoted to executive director. But so recently, there was a study done on positive childhood experiences. Because typically when I say, when I present on adverse childhood experiences, people say, well, that that's terrible. Okay, so all yep. of these things that are happening to kids, and they're very common, by the way. Two-thirds of adults have at least one of these adver- adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. that they had in childhood. And Arizona is number one, sometimes number two, but number one, uh, typically for the number of children who experience two or more ACEs. So we're not doing mm. great here in Arizona no. in terms of these experiences. Yeah. So I give them this information and now what? It's, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a very hopeful conversation, no. right? No. Yeah, it sends you it's back already, to It's bed. already done. Sure. These kids sure. have already yes, had these experiences. Exactly. No. But positive yeah. child experiences, there's new research done by Dr. Bob Siege. Dr. Bob Siege, he asks people about their positive childhood experiences. And positive childhood experiences include things like knowing that your family has got your back or knowing that your family supports you. So even if there is addiction in your family, mm-hmm. if you if you have a sense that other family members support you, that's a positive childhood experience. If you have a, a, a strong group of friends in high school, mm. if you participate in cultural traditions, if you have at least two non-parent adults who take an interest in your success, mm. that's a positive childhood mm-hmm. experience. And the research shows that the more positive childhood experiences that you have, even if you've had all these terrible and traumatic things happen to you when you're a child, right. the risks get cut sometimes in half wow. when you've experienced these positive childhood experiences. So yeah. these things mitigate, they fight the adverse childhood experiences. They have a stronger effect on success than adverse childhood experiences have an effect on your failure or your lack of success. Mm. So positive childhood wow. experiences can change everything. They are the solution. So even if these things have happened, and even if these things haven't happened and you've had a great childhood without mm-hmm. abuse and neglect, that's great. But positive childhood experiences predict your success. So I bring mm-hmm. that up because mentorship mm-hmm. and bringing positive adults into children's lives that can participate in this co-created community space yeah. 
and be mentors yeah. for this very fun, epic adventure yeah. is a positive childhood experience. Yeah. yeah. And who doesn't need some epic adventure once in a while? Who doesn't, Absolutely. Who doesn't want an epic life? Everyone wants an epic life. We're just craving an epic life. Let's take a break right there. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break and um, you have a few seconds to go out and do something epic safely. <laughs> and come back and join us for part three of the Rocket Feather podcast with Claire Luge. And welcome back to the Rocket Feather podcast. We're here with Kelly Roberge. Roberge, may we? May we? <laughs> I'm feeling extra franche today. Mm, yes. Because of our guests. <laughs> yeah. And that's Claire Luge, who was raised by French parents in upstate New York. That's right. Yeah. And just wanted to congratulate you on your on your promotion to executive director. Thank you. Of Prevent Child Abuse Arizona, statewide organization. Thank you. It's the honor of my life. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's really, it's a huge honor. I uh, get to succeed my mentor, Becky yeah. Ruffner. Right. And if there is any higher honor, I have not, I have not seen it. Yeah. And that's, you know, talk about, we were talking about epic life. You were talking about epic life. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the epic things that happen in stories, succeeding your mentor. Yes. And having, it's the, so having, true. being ready to receive the torch, the sword, the chalice, the whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. And I've said I'm only a month in. Yep. I'm learning so much already yep. about what it means to be a leader yeah. and to be responsible for an organization and its work and its mission, but also to be a good steward of the people within it yeah. and to put them first and how to balance that with, uh, gosh, fundraising yeah. and, mm-hmm. and sustainability and, and, uh, and, and hope and, and, and being human, being a human in a body. Mm-hmm. And what's wonderful is that Prevent Child Abuse Arizona is all about people. And mm. it's all about community because how we prevent child abuse is we strengthen community. Mm. We support parents. We connect people. People often misunderstand prevention. Prevention t- uh, is typically construed as, or let's, let's put it this way. People, when I ask people, how do you prevent child abuse? Mm-hmm. They will often say, well, you educate people on the signs of child abuse. Mm. And that is important. It is important to, if you suspect child abuse, to call the DCS hotline to report it, Mm -hmm. especially if you are working with children, then you are mandated to do so. But that is not prevention. That is intervention. What prevention is, is preventing it before it ever happens in the first place. Imagine that. Right. So the question that I ask of people is, what are the characteristics of families that do not abuse their children? And then I get a totally different set of answers. Yeah. And people will say, oh, well, they have economic stability. Mm-hmm. They have resilience skills. Mm-hmm. They have knowledge of parenting. They have community. They've got somebody who can take the kid for a while and give the parents a there break. There you go. There you go. So they yeah. have those kinds of tools. And when those things are lacking in a family, then abuse is more likely to happen simply because stress levels go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When stress levels go up in our lives, we are more likely to do things that we will later regret. Right. Because the way that stress works biologically in our systems is that it takes energy away from the part of our brain that makes decisions 
and controls our impulses Mm -hmm. and it puts energy into the part of our brain that controls fight, flight, or freezing. So we basically become the Hulk versions of ourselves when we're undergoing too much stress. Anyone. This is human biology. Yeah. So given the science, if parents are undergoing too much stress, they are not going to make their wisest decisions. Right. Because literally no one does. So the job of prevention is to lessen the stress on parents. And how do we do that? We provide them opportunities for connecting to their community. Mm -hmm. We provide them knowledge and education based on child development so they can feel empowered with the tools to actually parent this unique kid that they have. We connect them to the resources that they may need in times of crisis. We give their children the opportunity to learn social and emotional skills because it turns out that children who have social and emotional skills are easier to parent. All right. And we also teach them resilience techniques, which begins with self-reflection and who they are in the world. This is not rocket science. It's rocket feather science. It's it's the protective factors. Mm -hmm. When we promote those things through our programs, through our services, really, we can do this through any avenue. When we promote those things, we prevent child abuse. Yeah. It's an ecological model. Yes. Because it's a wraparound services, the, the the resources have to be there, the support structures have to be there, there has to be a safe situation, there has to be learning and growth. Mm-hmm. It's not just take, yanking the kid out of the house mm-hmm. and shipping them off somewhere and trying to educate the parents into, about nonviolence. Well, we know that doesn't work. We spend yeah. about a billion dollars in this state taking children away from their parents, and we know that it doesn't work to lessen the effects of trauma on children. A, a billion dollars and we spend it nearly a billion dollars on the department of child safety and because they have a big job to do yeah. and the department of child safety gets a lot of crap because yep. they have one of the hardest jobs in the world yeah. it's kind of a no-win situation it's absolutely no-win situation yeah. no one wants to take children away from their parents mm-hmm. it's not a fun job especially what they get paid which is not very much mm-hmm. you know it's just not yeah. a sexy job in any way um, and then everyone hates them because that's what they're doing but we need to work with our communities to prevent it from happening in the first place so that DCS yeah. doesn't need to take anyone away from, the, from their parents. And when the abuse and neglect does happen, taking children away from their parents should be the absolute last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should be able, we should be working with the parents to provide them those protective factors, to build yeah. those protective factors with them. And how much of it is just flat out poverty? Boy, that is a great question. How much of it is flat out poverty? About 60 to 70 percent of children who are in the foster care system, in the child welfare system, are there because of neglect. Neglect means a lot of things. Sometimes neglect means supervisory neglect. So if a parent is too drunk or high to supervise a young child, that is neglect. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes neglect can be things like, I can't afford child care. Yeah. And so I have to leave this child with this not qualified person. And that can be considered supervisory neglect. So how much of it is flat out poverty? That is a great question. I don't know. But unfortunately, neglect and poverty are often intertwined because it is really, really stressful to be poor. People don't have options. Yeah. 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 Options. Or they have all the options they have are bad. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm feeling some personal sadness. I mean, we're talking about big structural problems and it's not all, that's, that's not all on me. That's on all of us, Mm -hmm. but I'm feeling some, some sadness. Kelly and I are here talking about how important community is, and we've admitted on this podcast a number of times that we don't, we're not in community with our neighbors. And we've got neighbors next door who um, have a complex family situation with 
multiple dads, stepdads, mm. who knows what's going on. And I say hello to those kids, but I worry about them. Mm. But I don't. We don't get involved. I don't get involved. And that's a that's a really Western mm-hmm. way to be a neighbor. Just not getting involved. And, you know, frankly, sometimes I hear those kids being loud. I'm like, I hope that's the good loud. Yeah. And it always is. Yeah. I always go look. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's not prevention, right? That's right. we we could be involved in prevention and true. And and true. it doesn't have to be like it can just be good. It doesn't have to be I mean maybe maybe everything's wonderful over there. Mm-hmm. And it could just be more. More wonderful. Because yeah. because we're seeing yeah. a community with our Absolutely. neighbors. It's overwhelming. There's a lot that you could do. There's a lot that everyone could do. There's a lot mm-hmm. that everyone should do. There's a there's a lot that systems ought to do. But the way that I keep it manageable within my own psyche, mm-hmm. because you need to when you're mm-hmm. in this work, any kind of community building work, absolutely, is to do small but significant things. Yeah. Do not start with you know going over to your neighbor and offering, you know, full-time childcare for their children. Right, you know, that is right, a large right. and significant and significant commitment, but little things. Maybe it is I don't know, giving them a holiday card and saying yeah. from your neighbors just a little thing that shows that they're not alone in this neighborhood. Yeah. Little things that reduce mm. social isolation yeah. can make a big difference because the number one predictor of child abuse is social isolation. Uh-huh. Community is the opposite of child abuse. Connected community is the antidote to child abuse. And they're saying that connection and community are also the antidote to addiction. And some some child abuse is caused by addiction. Right. So it's really right. it's really all about connected community. I mean, what what yep. isn't about connected community? Yeah. And that's that's why we're doing this podcast and in part it's the just speaking from myself, it's the it's a little bit the coward's way to create community. Um, to be in conversation with with people one or two at a time in our own home. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping that, um, you know, I think people are going to follow along with our own journey into creating more intentional community, not only with this podcast, but outside this podcast. Yeah, because yeah, we're shifting from being part of a community to having to rebuild and build a new community. And it's challenging being introverts because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we... we thrive on our little community of two and uh four two yeah. plus two furries There's bill yeah. and your other yeah. cat's name munchie, munchie. munchie. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know what i would say to that is i have seen you both participate in community yeah absolutely and it takes participating when you have the opportunity to yeah so not to take it back to live action role-playing but i bring but here we everything go. back go. to live Let's action go. role-playing Let's go. But, but that That's is an intentional answer. community yes and and so opportunities like that, I encourage people to, to take a part in. Yeah. And it's one day. And, and and that one is just one day. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's nourishing. Mm-hmm. It's nourishing to you. So, yeah. uh, you know, for, we'll have I, to give it your... I like it, too, because the rules are set. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just like the kid on the spectrum. It's like going next door to, to interact yeah. with the neighbors. The rules are weird and hidden. And I don't know who's yeah. going to answer the door. And I don't they haven't necessarily been trained that it's yes. And, you know, yeah. right. They might not <laughs> want us. They might not want anything. New. Who knows yeah. what's going on over there? Um, but in yeah, so showing up uh, for live action role playing with a bunch of kids I mean, should sound terrible. But because the rule, a bunch of unknown kids in the dark. Um, it's awesome because the rules are set and the, safe, the <laughs> safety is set and everybody buys into it. 
And you're not, you don't have to do it by yourself either. That was one of the things about group mentoring that we always plugged is it's not like a Mm one-on-one situation where it's all on you to like figure out what needs to happen and all of that. It's like you can team up with other adults Mm -hmm. and you have each other's back and you help each other out. That's community. That's the model of how it should work. You know, the paradox of all this, the paradox of life is that we need people but we fear people Uh, because we have all been hurt by people. Uh And so of course it is hard to knock on your neighbor's door because the possibilities of hurt are endless. And our brain has learned people hurt you because people have hurt you. And people, yeah, yes. So the thing is. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be overt. It doesn't even have to be an insult. Just a, just Just a a weird look. look. Rejection. Yeah. 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 Oh, totally. Yeah. And I'm so good at projecting rejection on oh, other yeah. people. Like, oh, doesn't take much for me to be like, Bruh. or just misunderstanding each other, yeah. which yep. we do so well. Yeah, there's such a capacity, yeah. but it's that's the work of community building. It is being uncomfortable with that possibility that you might be rejected, mm-hmm. even if it's in your mind that you're being rejected. But that is the work, and you don't have to throw yourself all in and face the anxiety fully head on. But maybe, maybe facing it a little bit and making little choices where, yeah, you, you make a little bit more of an interaction that's all about community. You know, yeah. it's kind of like having, gosh, this is going all over the place, but I, I um, recently read, read, so you want to talk about race? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about really having conversations about race because no one wants to, mm-hmm. because everyone's going to fuck up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the best advice or the best phrase that I got out of it is you're going to mess up, go forth and mess up, nice. but have yeah. the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So in community, you're going to mess up. We all do because yeah. we're people and we're imperfect and we can't control people's thoughts or whatever, but try it's beautiful. And that's the work. So if you want to try live action role playing yeah, on September yeah. 19th, and now it's a ways away, but on September but you 19th, can mark your calendar now right and you now, won't miss it. Exactly. On September 19th, we're going to do our third annual epic role play adventure at the Prescott Valley Library. It is an event for teens uh, ages 12 to 18 and we always want adult volunteers to play special characters. This game this year is going to be about space. So to give you a little teaser, it is going to be a crash landing on a planet. What are the characters going to do next? You decide on September 19th. (laughs) It's also talk like a pirate day. Is it? Yes. Oh my gosh, space pirates. Firefly. Just saying. Gosh, Firefly. Right? A little moment. Okay, it's going to be a little bit. Yes. A moment of silence. A little moment of silence for Firefly. Mm. Okay. Okay. Shiny. But I'm saying maybe it's going to be a lot like Firefly. Wee! Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm in. All right. Put it on my calendar. Firefly. Yeah. Okay. And one more little plug I want to give is that through my work, I am trying to intentionally build community Hmm. around the many systems that serve children and families. Every year we put together the statewide child abuse prevention conference in Phoenix, where we bring together over 600 professionals in various sectors, but that have to do with with preventing child abuse. So from law enforcement, education, to healthcare, different professionals that serve people, we bring them together to strategize, to come up with ideas, to be exposed to the cutting edge information and evidence-based best practices on how we can collaboratively prevent child abuse in the state. And I love this event mm-hmm. uh, because it is an opportunity for me and my team to create an intentional community. Mm. And I, 
I love the vibe of our conference. I've been to many conferences. I think it's very important to have that vibe, that that community connection vibe. Mm-hmm. And the theme this year is connection, the power of relationships. Mm-hmm. So mm. if you would like to attend that, that's going to be July 21st and 22nd in Phoenix at the Hyatt in downtown. And you we can, can find out. We more. can put the link to it in Great. the show notes. Great. Fantastic. And we're going to be talking about strategies to prevent and address those adverse childhood experiences. Fantastic. Yeah. That sounds Fantastic. really powerful. Yeah. And you can join me. It'll be my first one as executive director. So yeah. if only just to support me and to, to you know, give me a woo when I go on stage, yeah. please, <laughs> please attend. <laughs> Absolutely. So everybody Team put that Blair. on the calendar. Even if you don't go to the conference, make sure to give a whoop on July 21st, 21st or 22nd. 22nd. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and open the door and let the cat in? Sure, He's just going to... He'll, He'll come in and holler. Hour. It's pa- it's dinner time. Ah, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he thinks it's always dinner time. Right. Mm. So I'm curious, before we totally wrap up, one of my big questions is the amount of creativity you do. So in addition to working in the nonprofit world, working with families, building connections, running a nonprofit, in addition to live action role playing, you've written a book. Mm. You do really visual, cool art. Vi- visual art. You've uh, acted in multiple music videos that have had hundreds of thousands of views. I think you're, you've been acting with Ganesha Filmworks and, and Andrew Johnson Schmidt. Are you, do you have a part in movies? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In, uh, in Dr. Wenger's Short Adventures. And, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so what is, where's all that creativity coming from? And is it integrated with with your career? Does it come out of leadership? Does it feed leadership? What's the relationship yeah. between your your creativity and the other parts of yourself? What a solid question. I that was a that was a that was a patented Kelly question cluster yeah, that I that used was a this solid time. question. Yeah. I need to be creative in order to live. Uh, remember when I talked about the eating disorder? Yeah, uh, that was the absence of creativity. It was the death of it mm-hmm. uh, because again there was nothing. Creativity is energy. It's life. And so I will always need outlets to create in whatever way I feel the desire to in that particular time. Mm. So my energy is not finite. Mm. For example, well, having a creative outlet is actually energizing, even though it takes so much time and energy. It's energizing to do the thing. So it energizes the rest of the work. I cannot just have a structural job that is about procedures. That is not how my brain thinks. or It's, it's not how my brain likes to think. Yeah. I need creative outlets in order to feel like I'm having a meaningful life. My job is very meaningful. And there's a lot of creativity, a lot of connection, a lot of, uh, of social uh, just relationship building that this job requires. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love connecting big ideas. So to me, creativity is exercise. It's keeping me the kind of person that I want to be. So it is, it's sustaining, it's nourishing. It's like food or exercise in my well-being. Mm. It is, it makes my leadership better because I'm a happier person. Mm. The thread that connects all of my creative work is that they are always gifts. There's nothing that I create that is not a gift. So the book, the things my French mother taught me, was written as a Christmas gift. Hmm. The LARPs, live action role plays, are always for the community. 
Those collage pieces are always gifts. I actually don't do anything that is not a gift mm. because if it is not a gift, somehow it, it doesn't feed me. Mm. So it is a mm. gift. And it, really, like, I, I don't do anything for myself. Well, that's interesting because I was going to ask if there was a point at which you needed to make a decision about whether to go into art with quotes around it or if that was ever a struggle for you to decide which way to go. But it sounds like art has its its proper place in your life as as food for your soul that you then are able to easily hand away. Yeah. I never considered going into art because of what I was taught was a career. Mm. So my family of origin is an immigrant family, and we were told that we needed to get our college degree and needed to go succeed, and we needed to sustain ourselves. And independence was a very, was a very strong value. And I did not think I could ever generate income from art. So that is why. I chose to, to nonprofit work. Yeah, that's <laughs> much but, better. But but really, I didn't really choose nonprofit work. I did it not go. You, it, huh? it chose me, and and really, it was based on opportunities for what can sustain me. And sustaining is both financially mm-hmm. and yes, mostly mm-hmm. soul. Uh, what can sustain me? What gifts do I have that I can give? Because to not give them is death for me. I mean, mm-hmm. that's so dramatic. But mm-hmm. if I no, I totally get that. It's like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if it's if I'm I'm so and I'm so lucky to have such a meaningful life. Like mm-hmm. I I have no idea how I got to be this lucky. It is such luck. All right, it is not. It, it's such luck and privilege. Mm-hmm. I have so much privilege. I have so much luck, and I want that acknowledged because mm-hmm. sure I work a lot, but it's not all me by any measure. So I have lots and lots of opportunity. And so I'm so grateful that I can be creative and work and Mm -hmm. have both of these. It's not even both. It's just live a creative life and be able to lead and constantly grow. I'm so grateful. We talk a lot about full spectrum on here and it sounds like you're having a full spectrum life. Yeah. But how did that happen? Yeah. Well, you are (laughs) lucky. I mean, you work hard. You're smart. You are you did the work to open to your full spectrum self and you are privileged and you have had opportunities. And when you've gotten opportunities, you've made the most of them. Yeah. All of that adds up to you're you're doing it right. An epic life. Epic life. Full spectrum epic life. And that is that is all I wish for. Mm -hmm. It's not ease. It's not comfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is epic. I want to live an epic story. Man, that's beautiful. I think we can end. Yeah. Perfect. Stuck the landing. Thank you so much. This has been so enriching. It's been enriching for me to talk to you. Uh, I, I have, I have so much admiration for the way in which you love the world. Mm. And Charles, you've given me two of my best compliments in my life. Oh, actually, I don't know if you knew that, but once when I asked the, adults who were volunteering for a live action role play two years ago, why they chose to volunteer for this random thing. You said, I trust Claire. Mm. And that was one of the highest compliments I've ever received, that you trust me. And then the second year you said it's because when Claire asks for something, you say yes. And I was like, wow, I'm trustworthy and powerful. (laughs) So, so. I tried to, I tried to say no the second time. I he said, tried I really said, hard I to said say no him. repeatedly. And then I came yeah. and then yeah. I was like, no, Kelly, I'm, I'm not, I can't do it. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, but honestly, no pressure. Yeah. You need to say no at some point. Uh, but please, please do. Attempt. Those of you, those of you listening, <laughs> didn't see the eye roll that I just performed. But yeah. oh, I also one, another frame is is your relationship. You have a really beautiful relationship, and it's exemplary and it's inspiring. And and you together are really good for the world. Mm. So thank, thank you, you for inviting me on. Yeah. I'm already weeping now. It's yeah. just. Well, thank you. Thank you for seeing that, especially the last part. It's 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 a conceit that Kelly and I believe in that that how we how we choose to be together is part of our gift to the world. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you can see it. Fantastic. Mm. I do. Yeah. I do. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Claire Luge, Kelly Roberge, the two Frenchies and <laughs> the Portuguese over here. Charles Mateus is how my last name should be pronounced. Mm. Thanks for listening to the Rocket Feather podcast. Solid. Oh my God. Ugh. Well, that is this week's Rocket Feather Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you got as much out of it as we did being in the room with Claire. As podcast parents, we're not supposed to have favorites. We're supposed to love all of our guests and episodes equally. Are we? Aren't we? I don't know. I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's like a podcast parent association that has guidelines. <laughs> if somebody could clue us in, if there is if there is a podcast parent association with a set of rules we should be following or ignoring, right. um, let us know. But yeah, I uh, this episode is currently my favorite. It seems like each one is better than the last, but we do love them all, and we hope you do too. So the rocket has landed, the airlock is open, you are free to move about the cabin. We hope this episode has been fuel for your soul and that you are up for an epic life of your own. If you're already living an epic life, please message us. We want to know you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. 